0: We should we should uh, do what uh, Chris has invited us to do, and that is to to pray for him. It's kind of tough tough going. So would you join me, uh, Lord Jesus? We're so grateful for what you do in our lives. You captivate hearts. Chris and his wife or, uh outstanding examples of transformed lives, and here they go way out of their comfort zone to what might as well be a foreign place in order to help people come to be more familiar with you, the gospel, and thus be saved. And it is tough going, for sure, as Chris said, so we pray you would continue to be his supply. Grant him favor, doors of opportunity, uh, many, many opportunities to share the gospel, relationship building, protection, and provision. We pray, oh God, even in advance of the March 23rd banquet, that you would go before providing and blessing so that this wonderful, good stewardship could be exercised, the building could be long to redeemer, and the sponsoring organization can move on and help another church plant similarly. Thank you for equipping Chris the way you do. Please bless him, his wife, What's it like for her to be away from home and there with five little ones? Would you give her special help and special grace? We would like this family to be sustained on a long-term basis in that most needy field. Thank you for the privilege we have to partner with them to some extent. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I should have asked you if you had any questions you wanted. Is Crystal here? Oh, I, I, Is there anything you wanted to ask of Chris? I maybe cut things off a little too soon. He'll be there at the end of the class, but if there's something on your mind now. In the last class, folks wanted to know the age of the children, and Chris said nine, the oldest, and then I think he said 18 months is the youngest. So that's a challenge, don't you think, <laughs> parents of young children? There isn't a, support, a family support system there as they would have Here, and there they go to do the Lord's work. Do you have any questions you might want to ask? Do you know where Sugar Creek Baptist Church is? Okay, good, good. Great church, March 23rd, if you'd like to help out. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate you very much. Chris has his, uh, yes, sir. So our brother said that there's good indicators in terms of the growth of Christianity around the world. That's good news. The bad news is the only place that's in decline, if I got you right, is here in North America. Isn't that a very telling telling story? One point nine percent identify themselves with an evangelical, biblically oriented church. One point nine percent. Uh, we just got back from Israel, and uh, Chris, it looks like there are more believers there than in New England. Israel, Jews and Muslims territory, isn't that something? Wow, wow, wow. So that is a necessary mission field. Lots of intellect over there, but the gospel is uh, still the means of salvation even there. Chris has his Ph.D. in New Testament. One of the reasons he pursued it is to be equipped to engage Folks uh, from those universities in good conversation about uh, biblical things and so we are so glad that you submitted to the Lord and have done all you've done in order to be equipped to be there you're kind of losing your Texas accent brother I don't want to hurt your feelings but real quick. they did <laughs> why do you get back I have a hanker and you do <laughs> All right, we're fixing to get started. <laughs> how about All right. So we are in Luke chapter 12, and we'll finish it today. Luke chapter 12. Take a look with me to um, how about verse... Uh, let's, let's pick up at verse uh, 49. That's pretty much where we left off. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. And we'll go through this chapter. Nice to see everybody. Luke 12, here we go, verse 49. The Lord says, I've come to cast fire upon the earth. We spoke about it last week. It's a metaphor for judgment. This is hard to swallow for many who think of the Lord as kind of a flower child, sort of a peacemaker. He makes this pretty uh, striking statement. No, he came to cast fire upon the earth and not only that, he wishes it were already kindled. So you have to know there's two prerequisites for the establishment of his kingdom and one is the salvation of those who will be saved and the other is the judgment of those who will not. And so he longed for both prerequisites to be satisfied so that he could consummate uh, his kingdom uh, here on earth. And so in that sense... He wished the ultimate judgment of uh, sinners would take place. Remember the first time he came? Not to make war with sinners, but to make war with sin. It's the second time when he comes, when he comes to make war with, with sinners. So that's kind of what's, what's in view there. And then verse 50, he said, I have a baptism to undergo. We're prone to think of baptism only in the water sense, but it's a general term which means to be identified with a certain reality. When you are baptized, when you're immersed in water, you're essentially saying publicly, and without a word, I am unashamedly publicly identified with Jesus Christ as my Savior. I put my hope in no other pretender to the throne. Uh, He is my Savior as a baptism is. And so the Lord says, I'm identified with a baptism which I will undergo. I have a, uh, I have a reality that is going to, in essence, be a defining moment in, in my life here on earth. And he says how distressed I am, in fact, until it is accomplished. Uh, uh, folks, the baptism he's speaking of is his baptism on the cross his identification with sin, yours and mine, on a cross in our place. This is what, at the time, he said he had to undergo. And it caused him, even in advance of the reality, notice, it caused him distress. So we get a very honest look, an authentic look, into the heart of the suffering servant. It's like he, the layers are peeled back. And though he be the only begotten son of God who has no beginning nor any end, fully deity, God himself, notice, in anticipation of that which he would identify with, he would be immersed in the cross on our behalf. It caused him distress even in advance of the event, if you think about it. Uh, long before the cross. He knew its ramifications. He knew it would affect the separation between him and his father. And even more than the excruciating physical pain, that separation caused him greater pain than anything else. There was never a time in the life of this one when this one wasn't aware of the fact that he was going to die. That form of death with those ramifications. And he did it. See, you had to know this the cross is not an impulsive decision he was no crazed martyr it was not emotionally aroused to do something this was his destiny this was his baptism this is his, the crucifixion was what he he came to do he came to be a substitute for you and i on the cross and you just got to know you're not an afterthought god did not make some hasty decision because you had a good day <laughs> God knew he came to take your sin and my sin. He saw it coming in advance, and and he knew it was a fate he would have to undergo. He knew that divine judgment would come on earth. Uh, He spoke about it, a fire he came to bring. But he knew that divine judgment would first come upon him before it came upon others. And that it came upon him would be the means by which it need not come upon others, you see? I hope you're one of those upon whom the wrath of God will not fall because it has fallen upon the shoulders of the only begotten Son of God. And then he says in verse 51, do you suppose, it's a, it's kind of a rhetorical question, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? Many would say, yes, of course. You came to make us all united and harmonious and hold hands and sing songs and, you know, be together and get along and that's your mission to make things better for us on earth. He answers uh, the question, I tell you no, but rather division. Now this sticks in the craw of many people today who think of Jesus as kind of a ancient sort of a flower child, peace, love, and whatever else. Uh, well... He did come to make peace, but not of a political, geo, geopolitical kind. He came to make peace between the sinner and the offended holy God through his salvation work. And uh, people have one of two responses to it, acceptance or rejection. And so that divides the message of Christ. We call it the gospel. The gospel divides. Did you know that? Uh, We don't like it. It's very sad. He's preparing his disciples for what they're going to get here on earth. They're going to get it on the chin. People who reject the gospel are going to be disgusted with them. They're going to persecute them. But he's also preparing those of us today who call ourselves his disciples. You just listen to me. If you are sharing a message other than the gospel, um you're probably going to be well-liked. But if you're sharing the gospel, there are going to be people who can't stand you. And you just need to know that. And the Lord wants us to know that. He didn't come to be... I mean, peace is a wonderful thing, but that's not the highest virtue getting along. The highest virtue is the truth that can transform. That's the gospel. So to withhold it in order to be at peace would be a big, big, big... Big mistake. And so the Lord says, no, no, I didn't come to grant peace. I came to grant division. In fact, on the most fundamental prized level of life, the family, he said, there'll be division. Look at verse 52 and on. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided. It's an illustration of what he's talking about. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, even on this level. Father, can you imagine it? Father against son, son at odds with father. Mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And every other familial relationship, this is just a sampling of it, is subject to the division which the gospel brings. Now this is distressing to us here, but it is a reality. Truth can even divide families. What choice do you have? You can deny truth for the sake of family solidarity, or you can state truth for the sake of family salvation. Well, you say, but wait just a second. I thought Jesus was pro-family. He is. He's pro-heavenly family. Even as a higher... Order of priorities than earthly family. Now, my fellow Christians, we think the highest priority is our earthly family. I have to tell you it's not. I have two sisters who I love and love me and we're close and talk all the time. They're older and they do not know the Lord. I am closer to you. I have more in common with you than I do with them. I didn't say I've divorced them or anything like that. Don't misunderstand. But the gospel has divided us. The gospel has united us. This is the heavenly family, and this is the highest priority. I know people in this, I'll tell you what. Can you, by a show of hands, you need not share anything, just by a show of hands, when you came first to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, how many here ran into any resistance ill feeling or uh, uh, opposition from any family members? Would you raise your hand look around, look around look around the room and i 'll tell you what every one of us has We ache over it, so too does the Lord Jesus, which is why he came to suffer and die to do everything possible that all may hear and believe. But some are not going to, and so families are divided. And I happen to know some here in particular who are now dealing with the excruciating pain of being separated from children and grandchildren uh, over matters of truth. And that uh, it, it caused aching hearts. They have to cling to truth. They're not dividing. It's truth that divides that's just the way it is and folks you might say isn't again isn't family important not as important as heavenly family that's just this is a rough one for us i'm telling you but that's that's the way it is and so the lord said you're missing see so he wanted to prepare his followers in the first century and those of us today he wanted us you know there are people today you hear from various pulp, pulpits who i think wrongly sell the gospel if you will Meaning if you embrace it and allow it to embrace you, everything is going to be a bowl of cherries. But Jesus said, no, it's going to, there's going to be division, don't you see? Unless you understate the gospel as some in our community are prone to do, unless you water it down, and then everyone wants to come to your church. All kinds of politicians, everyone wants to come to visit. They want to put you on TV and all the rest. But not if you state the gospel. I'll tell you why. It's repulsive to people who reject it. You know what the gospel says? You have sinned to such an extent you owe a holy God a debt you cannot pay. You know what the gospel says? You are not inherently good. The gospel doesn't say you're guilty of a few missteps. The gospel says you are inherently sinful in thought, word, and deed. The gospel says you are categorically different than almighty God, entirely separated from him. The gospel said your, your goodness goodnesses do not reflect your heart because only God is good by nature. The gospel says you are at odds with God. There's a chasm between you and him. The gospel says you can invoke his name and utter some frivolous prayers here or there, but you do not know him because your sin has separated you from him. The gospel doesn't say you made some mistakes because you were raised in an impoverished, disadvantaged background. The gospel says you were conceived in sin. The gospel says... You don't have any hope except through the God of hope who stands in the gap between you and almighty God. The gospel says there is no other way but Jesus who claims to be the way. The gospel does not allow for any other pretenders to the throne. The gospel says it cannot be Mohammed. It is not Moses. It's not a new president. The gospel says the problem is not the economy. You're the problem. The gospel says it's your sin-sick heart which has corrupted corrupted everything and rendered everything crooked the gospel says god made everything in such fashion that when he stood back he said it is very good and you ain't good and that's why what he made very good now stinks to the high heavens the gospel says you're just a creature you're not the master of your destiny you have to submit to almighty god the gospel says you can have the most of what you think this world has to offer but you'll still be an empty shell if you have extracted from the formula of your life the giver of life if you think that message is receivable to all listeners you're not sharing the gospel Whitney Houston passed away it's a grievous thing a young woman 48 years old gorgeous talented a mama I hope we grieve over the tragedy of it all I watched the memorial service not all bits and pieces And I heard what I expected to hear. I heard people address eternal issues, heavenly issues, theological issues, who know not what they're talking about. I appreciate the heart and how you don't want to speak ill in any way. One who has been deceased, don't misunderstand. I appreciate the hurt heart, which misses this person, don't misunderstand. But all of a sudden, they're addressing spiritual issues, matters of eternity. Good, but from what basis? Do you look to Kevin Costner as the the expert on the theology of death and dying? But there he was. He stood up there and he said of Whitney, he said, I know that when God created her, He was overwhelmed at how perfect she turned out. See, 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 see. I think he's a wonderful actor, and I like him because he's a short guy. I'm just saying he has every right to address theological matters. But on what is he drawing on except wishful thinking? If we address theological matters... And someone says, where do you get that? It's your opinion. We say, no, no, no. It's in Scripture. It is the Bible, which is reliable revelation, written revelation from Almighty God. If you have an argument with what I just said, your argument is not with me. Your argument is with the source from which I got it. It is the biblical record. You see? But if Costner stands up there and just speculates because he wants everyone to feel good, he has every right to do it. Don't misunderstand. But on what basis is he forming his theological perspective? He betrayed. He knows of God. He knows of eternity. He knows of heaven. But the gospel is rejected. The gospel is rejected. Nobody shared about salvation through Jesus Christ. Nobody. But he himself says, and there is salvation in no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You can hardly observe a funeral of one of the rich and famous where they aren't lauded with astounding virtue and angelic qualities. Now, I do want us to think about the good qualities of, of, of a deceased person. But a better thing to say is not that this person is guaranteed their place in heaven when in point of fact you, you don't know what you're talking about. A better thing to say is, you know what? Your tears over the departure of this loved one is evidence of the fact that you don't have to be perfect to be loved and missed. And if you could do that, how much more God? You don't have to be perfect to be loved and embraced by him. You just have to be in the embrace of the only perfect one, the Lord Jesus. There is a message to give, but it's the virtue and grace of Almighty God, the giver of life, not of the one who's just passed, sadly, away. So so in those settings, if you are to share the gospel, people say, why are you such a downer? Why are you raining on the parade? We just... People want to think that everyone is gaining entrance into heaven when they die. A reprobate is is presented as some virtuous uh, man or woman. No, folks. Even the most upstanding fine citizen falls short of the glory of God. The only guarantee into heaven is the one given, explained to us, expressed in Scripture, and that is through the sacrifice of, 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 of Jesus Christ. So go ahead, Charlie. He likes him he brings out the Lord and most all of his stuff he does. Yes. Uh, she conferred with Tyler Perry several times about problems she had in life. And he tried to help her as much as possible. And she told him, says I can always tell you, Tyler, that I can rely back on my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is hope possibly she did. Yeah. No question. Good for her. That is wonderful. Good for her. You're right. So, so the point is here. You, you know, I, I uh, was uh, struck by what Chris had to share. Many things. One, the visit of this young lady who came to his church under—it sounds like duress to begin with—who left saying, "I hate the church and I hate the I hate the pastor." See, he shared he shared the gospel. It's says, "There's a gospel that redeems and also divides." You say, "You mean to insinuate myself? All my friends are." Going to hell, and thank God the Holy Spirit worked on her heart and she came to know Him. But, but, but don't you see, if you're sharing the gospel, you're gonna run into that, you're gonna run into that sort of thing, and, and the Lord wants us to know, you just have to be, you just have to be prepared for it. And family is very, very important, but the heavenly family, based on truth, is much more important. Randy? Oh, 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 that is such a good question. I don't think it was anxiety. You know, when we have anxiety, it's because we're anticipating an outcome in the future we know not of. All anxiety is anticipatory fear, fear of what could be, because we don't know what will be. That was never the Lord's circumstance. He never feared the unknown because he knew what was coming. And it's not that he feared it he because he was obligated to do the Father's will. He knew of the pain encapsulated in it. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, quite interesting, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane recently and I shared this passage. He did what was atypical. Usually people in his day would stand and pray with hands aloft. That was the most typical position. Don't want to offend my fellow Baptist people, but that's how they did it. Uh, and, but in this case, in the garden, he fell. He was in the midst of such a grievous experience, and that's when he said, let this cup pass from me. Again, the cup was the cup of crucifixion, just as the baptism is the baptism the crucifixion. But notice what he said, Nonetheless, nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. So it wasn't anxiety. See, see, anxiety, once again, we don't know what's going to come. What if this happens? Anxiety is when you live in the world of what ifs. What if my child doesn't make it home? What if the plane crashes? What if I lose my job? But he didn't have to live in, in the world of what ifs because he knew what will be. So it's different. That's a great question. Thank you. Well said. I totally agree with you. One of the points of temptation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Yes, ma'am. The fact that you pointed out that the young lady ended up coming back and finding the Lord, what if Chris had backed out and did a soft, sweet message that made her happy, she would have never found the Lord. Well said, Linnell. I don't know if you heard, Chris. I hope this encourages you. Uh, uh, our sister made such a good point. This this lady did not respond well to, to. it wasn't about you, did not respond well to what you represented, uh, 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 and you could have watered things down so as to make peace and make friends, but if you didn't, you'd have a friend lost throughout eternity, now you have a sister in the fold. Right. We thank God for you, Chris. I really mean it. Now folks we don't have to go out of our way to offend people with our methods but even the most well chosen method uh uh if it's based on the right message will offend some people you you just you just so so we have options we could we could do you mean to say if someone doesn't believe in jesus is going to go to hell you know we could just say yes you have well spoken that is right what So instead there's a temptation to say, well, I don't know, I'll just leave it up to God. Yes, I want to leave it up to God too, and he already addressed the issue. He said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son shall not... It's not not a question, it's an exclamation point. Okay, so the text goes on here. This is interesting, verse 54. He was saying to the crowds... When you see a cloud rising in the west, that is to say from the Mediterranean Sea. You can go to the Mediterranean today. When we were there, we put our feet in it and froze. Uh, But when clouds rise from the west, from the Mediterranean Sea, people there, even today, immediately say, it's going to rain. A shower is coming. And so you're right. Not only that, when you see a south wind from the Negev, from the desert in the south, Hot, arid air. When you see a south wind blowing north, you say, it's going to be hot today. It turns out that way. You hypocrites. Verse 56. Why does the Lord say that to people who watch the weather? What's up? This is what's up. They're able to look to atmospheric signs, meteorological signs today and predict tomorrow then why don't you see the spiritual signs and predict the, the, the spiritual realities? That's what he's saying. He's saying you see clouds. You say it's going to rain later. You, you, you sense the wind coming in the south. It's going to be a hot day later. Then why can't you read spiritual realities? There stood Jesus in their midst. The blind received their sight. The lame walked. He taught as one with authority. He fulfilled all messianic expectations. He rose from death. Hypocrites who can interpret signs in the sky with regard to the weather and couldn't interpret signs on earth with regard to spiritual realities. And he said, you don't have to be expert. This is common sense. Anybody knows this. Anybody knows this. You look up, oh, it looks like rain. What does it look like? Here on earth, from a spiritual sense, does it not look to you like a storm is brewing? Does it not look to you that we're in the midst of spiritual crisis? Why don't our leaders see it? It There's nothing to do with political party. Our leaders think the economy is the problem. Democrats, Republicans, it is a problem. It's not the problem. <laughs> the fundamental problem is spiritual. Right. We have removed God from the equation. Right. And we ought to know better. Because whenever we hear Scripture quoted in inaugural speeches of national days of prayer by politicians or whenever a famous Hollywood person Whatever, whether it's this award show or that says, I wanna, first of all, I wanna thank God they have indicted themselves. Cause they've just revealed, I see the signs. I know the indicators. I see the evidence. I'll give lip service to it and live as if I'm master of my own destiny. God says, you're a hypocrite. Why is it that our experts seem to be invested in economic prognostication? Everyone knows how to fix the economy. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Then why don't you see what is spiritually broken and realize you can't fix that? You see? It's a hypocrisy here. It's a measure of hypocrisy. It's quite interesting to me to see today. Look, you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not analyze the present time? And our leaders, our world leaders are not doing it. It's unbelievable. Put your finger on any country in the world. North Korea, China, Syria, United States of America. Put your finger, Venezuela, Cuba, any Italy, Greece, why don't they get it? Do you know who's going to be elected? The person who fixes the economy. Even my unsaved sister says, I don't care what they do in the White House. I don't care what they do behind closed doors, just as long as they give me a job. Why is it that you could read economic signs and atmospheric signs and predict the weather and all the rest and don't see the downward spiral that we are in the midst of? Don't see the desperate darkness and the fact that God creator has been left out of the formula of life and these are are the results. So the Lord it's not me. Lord Jesus is saying, Why can you analyze all this other stuff? And you can't analyze the present time. You hypocrites, why are you so skilled in earthly stuff? Economic stuff and the weather and all the rest and everybody's giving you financial counsel, buy this, sell that, whatever. Why why is it that you can't see what's why is it? Do you think for one minute that this God you give lip service to is not someone you're accountable to? Do you think you can live on God's green earth and give lip service to him? A couple, I want to thank God first. Are you kidding me? And then you look at the lifestyle of the one acknowledging God and you say it doesn't look like a godly life. I'm not criticizing the person. I am that person. Don't misunderstand. I'm just saying don't, don't, don't. You, you, the minute you acknowledge even flippantly his existence you've just indicted yourself for crying out loud when any president or presidential candidate evokes scripture albeit out of context they are betraying they know scripture is there and they're making recourse to it because they know there's something to it well if you know it's there and you know there's something to it then you gotta live in compliance with it and if you don't your very awareness of scripture is what will indict you when you stand before. You cannot say, I never heard of, I dare you to find a person in the United States who's never heard of Jesus. Listen, when I was a, uh, uh, drug using, uh, alcohol ingesting freako in the streets of New York City who, uh, who, who would hate to have anything to do with people like you, And all the rest, I still knew of this one named Jesus. No, I didn't know him personally. don't misunderstand. I didn't know him unto salvation. But it's not like when in the military barracks, a guy shared the gospel with me. It's not like I had to say, I never heard before. Oh, no. Oh, no, the Lord has made himself known in manifold ways, and especially in places like the United States. Earlier it said, to whom much is given, much is required. It was focused on Israel, my people receiving much privilege and squandering it. But what about America? Much privilege, freedom of religion, church on every corner, crosses, Billy Graham, Bible bookstores, the whole deal. You've got to know people know about who he is because all you've got to do is watch how he's defamed in sitcoms. They know about him. People know about him. So the Lord is saying, you hypocrites! You claim to make such expert decisions with regard to earthly matters. Why are you not exercising the same common sense with regard to what you know of? Me. That's what he's saying. And then it goes on here. And I'll close with this. I'm getting hot. Does anyone have a Valium? I could... No. Ah, no, no. no, we don't do... I'm just kidding with you. Man, that's on tape. Holy moly. That's not good. Chuck should never have said that. <laughs> Look, a closing illustration given by the Lord. Verse 57. Why do you not even, on your own initiative, judge what is right? So here's an illustration. It's a guy guilty of something, some offense, owes a debt. That's the scenario. Here's what it says. While you, the guilty party, are going with your opponent, the one you owe, while you're going with your opponent, to appear before the magistrate, court official, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him. On the way to have your case adjudicated, and you know you're gonna lose, cause you're in the wrong. On the way, try to make it right with the guy you owe the debt to. Why? So that he may not drag you before the judge. The judge, the ultimate decision maker. And the judge turn you over to the officer, the one who's gonna apply the judge's decision. And the officer throw you into prison. And I say to you, you won't even get out of there until you paid the very last cent, the very last penny. So here, the Lord is appealing to common sense. You know the weather and adjust accordingly. You know all this stuff. Why don't you know spiritual, see the spiritual signs and adjust accordingly? Not only that, you know this. When you're in the wrong and you're on the way to court, you know you're going to lose the case. It is wise to settle out of court get it done. Because if you don't, you know the judge is going to put the gavel down, guilty as charged. You're going to jail until you satisfy the debt. The very last penny of it. What's it all about? God is every character here except the one who owes the debt. (laughs) God is the opponent. God is the judge. God is the magistrate. God is the officer. Be made right with God before You have to stand before Him and give an account. For you owe a debt. You're in the wrong. You owe a debt. It's due to your sin. You cannot pay. It's a debt against a sinlessly holy God. You cannot pay it. You don't want to stand before Him and be tried. No one's going to get you off the hook. You will be adjudicated guilty. And you'll have to pay an eternal debt. Because it's a debt against an eternal God. You will be in hell forevermore. Better, while you are on the way, to settle it with Almighty God. Better for you, some of you here, if you haven't. Settle it while you're on the way today. That is the way in the course of your daily life on this Sunday. Better to, better to say, oh God, yes, I know you're there. Yes, I know I've lived apart from you. I agree the Bible calls my independence from you sin. The Bible calls me doing my own thing sin. If it feels good, do it. The Bible calls it sin. I have sinned for sure against you in many ways, and you are holy, therefore I owe you, but I'm not holy, I can't pay you back. I know that that's why Jesus... Your son came. I know this. I know what happened on the cross. But today I know what happened for me. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me my sin. Grant me peace with your father. Grant me adoption into your Heavenly family, grant me heaven forevermore. Settle it now, because it won't be settled in your favor then. Jesus said, I came not to make peace, but to divide. I came with a fire upon the earth. Let the gospel melt your heart, and therefore do not fear fire. If the wrath of the Father on your behalf has been put on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus, it will not be put on you. That's the way it is. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life. So can you see the Lord Jesus is saying, you don't have to be... This is not just stuff for real smart people who... What? Come on, folks. You can read the signals uh, financially, economically... Uh, meteorologically. Come on, folks. You know if there's a case against you that you're not going to win, settle out of court before the gavel goes down. I'm a, The Lord is appealing to common sense. He's saying based on those things. Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see the downward spiral? Not the United States. The world finds itself in. Don't you see how lame are the proposed solutions of the best of the world's leaders? Lame. Are you joking me? Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see you need outside help? Don't you see I'm outside of your space-time dimension? You know I exist. Come on. You know you're not self-generated. You call me by name. You make recourse to me. How dare you call me by name and do not know me? Know me as your Savior and know peace instead of wrath. It's a matter of common sense, I hope, while you're on the way today. Can I tell you something? I don't want to ruin your day for you. You have indicted yourself by being in this classroom today if you reject the Lord Jesus because his name has been clearly named and the gospel has been communicated. To whom much has been given, that's what he said earlier in the text, much is required. You have been given much. You have heard. Don't talk to me about, what about the person, you know, uh, 14,000 miles away in a remote village in India who never heard of Jesus? You know, we'll get to him. But that ain't you. You have heard. Don't worry about that guy. Worry about you first. And when you get it settled with God, you can go to that guy's village and tell him about Jesus. But to whom much has been given much is required. Do not walk away from what happened on the cross. You wrote in here today, you saw that massive cross. It's not an architectural delight. It's a symbol of a reality. You know what happened there. Mohammed was not impaled on that cross. No president was in, impaled on that cross. No biblical writer was impaled. One was impaled on that cross in your place and rose up from it after having been laid in the grave, revealing himself after his crucifixion to many people in diverse places and at diverse times. You can see the signs. You can see the evidence while you're on the way. Get it together. Make peace with the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. If you don't know him that way, then you will know him as the one who brings the fire of judgment. That's the way it That's the way it is. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming first. Thank you for coming again. In between the two, we have opportunity. Oh, God, may it not be squandered by anyone here. Some labor under the misconception that they have to get their act together to come to you. No. You wouldn't be needed if we could. We can't get our act together. In fact, the very thing we want to do, we don't do. And what we don't want to do, we do do. That's our nature. We're on the run from you. Oh, God, enable each of us here to run to you in faith, accepting you as Savior. And then allow you to do the work of transformation in our lives. We need you from the outside to change us on the inside. And therefore, we ask you to do so in the mighty name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. See you next time.